price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everyone. Big news from the boys of the last podcast on the left. Check out the last comic book on the left, our most sinister comic anthology. It now has a volume two. Please pre-order now at Z2Comics.com. We have an even bigger stable of artists and talent and writers and everyone that we did for the first one, although the first one is fucking amazing and it's still available on Z2Comics.com. But we're asking you to go pre-order number two, Z2Comics. Scott.com. You're going to like the way you read. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gee. And that Steve, oh, you can keep going. And that Steve Alvini thing, I watched a video of it. It's, yeah. it's really cute. Yeah. He's really adorable. Well, we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into how adorable Steve Albini is. I didn't realize it. <laughs> I, I had no idea that you, you could actually, you could see his heart grow like five times bigger. Welcome to No Dogs in Space, everybody. Extra play edition. Yeah. My name is Marcus Parks. I'm Carolina Hidalgo. And this is just a show that we're taking from our Patreon. On and we're bringing it to our main R. feed. R.I.P. our Patreon. Thanks to everyone who gave while it existed. Thank you. Uh, we're bringing it over to our main feed so everybody can enjoy it. Basically, Extra Play is a show which we'll put out every couple of weeks when we don't have a uh, series to put out while we're working on the big, big series that you guys love so much. The big, big series. <laughs> Not making a pizza. <laughs> but yes. But this is, yeah, this is kind of a, you know, something for you guys to listen to in between. We're going to be going through like music news and doing like small features at the end of every episode that's sort of a mini so just like a small yeah, thing. It's that a side stories for no dogs, sure. basically, is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, you guys know what we're talking about. Uh, so speaking of what we're talking about, we're going to start with one of our favorites. We're going to start with a new story about the Beastie Boys. Yes. Which are few and far between these days. <laughs> <laughs> so the Beastie Boys, just like Joey Ramone, are finally being honored with a new street name, right here in New York City. The street on the Lower East Side corner of Ludlow and Rivington 
will be renamed in the band's honor after finally being approved by the New York City Council. Yeah, this was the second time because the first time was like 2014 they tried to do it. Mm -hmm. Because I actually did look it up because I was wondering, like, can you just get anything named? (laughs) You know, like, like, that would be cool. There was a Georgie way or something. And so I actually looked into it. Uh And and there are some rules. Okay, so everyone fucking buckle up for the civics lesson. (laughs) No, I mean, all you need is like a ton of signatures. Obviously, Uh you need over 75. And this is also depending on each community. So this is, we're only talking about downtown Manhattan of yeah. course 75% of the businesses and residences uh, residences uh, <laughs> on the street has to approve it so they all have to sign it right okay and then you have to make like a really good argument at the community board meeting like and you have to explain that through an extra extraordinary or extraordinary extraordinary here in America <laughs> through an extraordinary and consistent voluntary commitment and dedication to the community I I forgot to write the first part of that sentence. Let me start it again. (laughs) You have to prove (laughs) through an extraordinary and consistent voluntary commitment and dedication to the community that that this individual or organization does deserve this, right? If it is an an individual, like if I wanted Carolina Hidalgo way Mm -hmm. or something, I would have to be dead. (laughs) So an individual has to be dead, unfortunately. All right. Or in this case, one of the individuals in the group. Or also if it's an organization, which could be the BC Boys themselves, mm-hmm. right? They have to be at least 30 years old. Oh, okay. So that works. Yeah, that it works does. for them. So they kind of like, I guess they, they hit all the boxes, the check mark. <laughs> they checked all the boxes on that. And it was all due to this guy, Leroy McCarthy. I looked him up randomly because they put his name and stuff. Mm-hmm. And apparently he's been spearheading this kind of thing for quite a while. This kind of thing meaning like Beastie Boys, you know, fandom or naming uh, street corners oh. after like famous you know, musicians and that, like New York musicians. The latter. Okay, cool. Actually, because he's a hip hop guy. I, I, I think. Oh, what, okay. So I'm not quite sure what I think is he's a bit of a historian, a bit of a. Like a like a caretaker in a sense, yeah. And so, just like the guy around town, and so his mission is like to co-name a block in every borough of New York after its hip hop representative. And the, I mean, and in Manhattan, like yeah, it's the Beastie Boys. I mean, he got that. You could make an argument for Big L up in Harlem, who was a fantastic like '90s gangster rapper, had a, a song called All Black that I fucking adore. It's so good. You, just, you could make an argument for Big L, but I think Beastie Boys is probably the that's the the tourist destination. Right. That people are gonna go and they're gonna take pictures, just like you know when I was visiting here, like. Oh, let's go take a picture of Joey Ramone Way because CBGB doesn't exist anymore. But you, <laughs> it's the best you can do. It's the, it's the best you can do. Yeah, and there's also, remember, there's Chinatown where they lived when we talked about the Beastie Boys series. Mm-hmm. They lived in Chinatown. They were roommates and everyone had to see Mike D's like, taint yeah. every time he'd go <laughs> and look into the fridge. Yeah. And then there was Chongqing Studios that they also like pretty much immortalized. And so they're very tied in to downtown Manhattan. Yeah, that Lower East, because the, the corner that they're talking about Ludlow and Rivington that's maybe like nine blocks away from Chungking and that area where they lived and all that like that's a little bit past Allen Street when Lower East Side turns into Chinatown we actually talked about that area a lot on the Joel Rifkin series I know I know you've been giving like (laughs) these directions to people who have no idea what you're talking about but that's the funny thing is that when we were doing the Joel Rifkin series on last podcast and talking about all of the the strolls the sex worker (laughs) strolls where he would you know pick up women one of them was like Allen Street, Allen and a Forsyth, I think. And my first thought was like, 
Oh shit, that was around where like the Beastie Boys fucking live. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, Let's call it sex worker strollway. <laughs> well, the thing is about the the street corner that they're naming Beastie Boys Square, right? That's what they're calling it, Beastie yeah. Boys Square. The reason why they're putting it on that specific street corner is because that's where the cover for Paul's Boutique was shot. That's where the photograph yes. was made. Photographed by um, our buddy, Jeremy Shatton. Acquaintance. Okay. <laughs> he might say acquaintance. All I'm right. calling him a buddy. All right. <laughs> Jeremy Shatton, who actually, he was, you know, he's lifelong friends with the Beastie Boys, uh, childhood friends, mm-hmm. and started the first band with Mike D, I believe, uh, the young Aborigines before they started their whole thing and morphing into the Beastie Boys. Right? Yeah. So he, he actually took that photo. Remember, and they made the sign and everything. And so it's really cool. And that photo is like when you get the, you know, the LP, it's that gatefold LP where you get this huge view of, you know, the Lower East Side. And what year was that? What year was Paul's Boutique? 89? 89, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah, around 89. Yeah, just that. Because now it looks nothing like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> it looks absolutely nothing like that. I mean, for the longest time, I thought that that picture was like, that was Paul's Boutique. But then I found out Paul's Boutique is in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> We're still not quite sure. Yeah. <laughs> remember? Because everyone's wondering, like, some people thought it was a hoax, but it was an actual ad. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then there's a Paul's Boutique sign that they put up, I think, around the time you and I moved to Greenpoint. Yeah. Because we live, that's our neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, there is a sign somewhere around there called Paul's Boutique. It's on Manhattan Avenue. Like, it, it, and it's like Paul's, and it says Paul's Boutique, and it says, and they're in Brooklyn. Right, right underneath it. But I wonder because it's been there forever. I always wonder, like, because I was so excited, like, oh, a new record store. Yeah, it's been there for like four years now. Maybe and, more. I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe four, maybe five. Um, but I, I don't know if it was a record store that was abandoned. Like they put up the don't put up the sign first. Why do you make the sign first? You make the sign. <laughs> Last. Yeah, the sign's definitely the last thing. But, uh, but it's still I, I think up. that guy learned it less. Yeah, but it's still up, you know, and I love that it's there. It's across the street from where I guess the thing used to be, which was this big, dusty, like used record store slash junk store here in Greenpoint that I don't think survived the pandemic. I'm not sure. But I mean, my God, the dustiest records in the world. Oh. Even I can't. You would die if you went I down would. There. I'm allergic to dust. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I'm the worst yeah. Marvel villain ever. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about the Beastie Boys. Let's talk about the '90s for okay. Wait oh, a second. Oh, okay. I wasn't done. Okay, yet. I wasn't. Okay, okay. cool. You um, yeah, yeah. A little okay. Bit? <laughs> yes. Okay, so I, I really want to get back to this guy's mission. Okay, Leroy. The, Leroy. This is the guy that's trying to name streets after uh, hip hop artists all over the five boroughs. And you know what? A lot of them have been done already. Like Jam Master Jay Way in yeah, Queens. That's nice. That's pretty good. And then Christopher Wallace Way in Brooklyn. That cool. that happened a couple years. Of course, Notorious B.I.G. Yes. And then I love this one. Uh, he was trying to get Big Pun way in, uh, in the Bronx. But, you know, I guess since Big Pun is a big guy, they gave him Plaza. <laughs> big Pun Plaza, which is great. Well. Uh, he's Fordham Road. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and the Beastie Boys, since they're a group, a square would be, I mean, you can't really say triangle, but, you know, it, square. it's yeah, square. square. It's pretty good. And Wu-Tang Clan District in Staten Island. That happened also in 2019. That's great. So you know what? This guy's on his way. Biz Marquis got one in Long Island. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh. So it's going. It's going great so far. It's going great. 
I love this. Rockefeller is going to go down and Bismarck Key is going to go up. (laughs) And that's going to be our New York City. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. I mean, Long Island, there was a lot of guys to choose from out there. I mean, there's a lot. But that's the funny thing. Yeah. It's Manhattan. That's what made me really think about Manhattan so much as like as far as the hip hop community goes. Uh, I was listening to the Beastie Boys first album, listening to License to Ill and, you know, Ad-Rock, you know, saying like, and I'm from Manhattan. like. (laughs) No rapper ever says, I'm from Manhattan. I know. <laughs> no one checks Manhattan ever. Like, you might check Harlem, of course, but Manhattan. Well, that's also what Chuck D did, remember? He was, like, trying to bring Long Island pride. Yeah. And he's like, what's up, Long Island, El Delphi? <laughs> and at first, everyone's like, who, who is this kid? <laughs> and now there's so much Long Island pride. There really there's is. almost, let's say, too much. <laughs> Sometimes, well, it depends on which Long Islanders you're talking to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but it's very cool. It's very cool. I'm very happy that we got a Beastie Boy Square. I'm very happy. Do they have any idea when it's going to go, when the sign's going to go up? I think it did. It, oh, it already did. I think so. I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> I I, we, I only tell the news here, guys. <laughs> well, since the story that came out a couple of days ago said they are being honored, then it will be renamed. Um, we will, we'll check in on them. We'll check in and we'll let you know for <laughs> all you people here in New York City or those of you who are coming to New York City for your Beastie Boys uh, tourist tour. Have fun. <laughs> Well, we're talking about the 90s when we're talking about the Beastie Boys, of course. Like, that's when, you know, the Beastie Boys were a true cultural force. And that's, you know, when a lot of their best music and most well-loved music was coming out. And I read a really interesting article on Axios a few days ago about how today, in 2022, the 90s are by far the most popular decade for streaming right now. For what people are actually listening to. People are listening to more 90s music than anything else. And they're even listening, they're listening to more 90s music than they are listening to modern music. Music from the 2020s. Is that really a thing? Can that happen? (laughs) Yeah, it actually is happening. And so there's this whole graph that says like the share of Americans who say they listen to music from a particular decade. And there's 60% say they listen to the 1990s exclusively. 57 say 2020s okay yeah all right yeah as far as like how much music that they listen to you like how much like okay 60 percent of my stuff is from the 1990s gotcha 57 percent of my stuff is from the 2020s i think man i don't know what share means <laughs> <laughs> we only tell the news here yeah because it's like share of americans who say they listen to music from a particular decade okay percent yes percentage percentage yeah because i'd imagine that we don't just do one thing only yeah, yeah. Okay. it's just that no, it just none of it adds up to 100 so i'm not <laughs> <laughs> it's like 15 29 53 55 67 it's like i don't know <laughs> but i guess the point is is that the 90s are number one when it comes to what people listen to and the 2020s are right behind it and then the 80s are right behind that and it's funny it just jumps all over the place the 2000s are after the 1980s the 2010s are after the 2000s <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. What about the 70s? Because that's the music I listen to the most. Uh, the 70s are right behind the 2010s. Yeah. Woo-hoo! 
Oh, yeah, man. yeah. And then it's the 60s and then it's the 50s or earlier. And this is like a 15% share of weirdos that are just listening to stuff from the 50s all the time. Yeah, which, good for you. Which I love music from the 50s no, and earlier, of course. Like, but I love all that all shit. That's all you listen to. <laughs> that's the majority of the music that you listen to. That's hard. It's going to be a hard <laughs> life when you open the windows. It really is. And there's a lot of questions about this. Like, why are the 1990s the number one decade for music? And why now? Why 90s now? <laughs> oh, we're doing that. Well, I don't know, actually. Does it answer? Well, not specifically. Great. There are speculations. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, there are speculations, and they go from any anywhere. From, like One of the speculations is like, because the 90s are good, like because they got wow. the best music. They're... I would say it's 25% because the 90s are good. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, it is when the record industry reached the highest highs, when they sold the most albums, when they made the most money. You know, it's when so many artists were so distinct you know, like there were so many distinct genres. There was so much great, like there was like rock music was so distinct and hip hop was so distinct and, and pop music was so distinct. And there was so much great stuff happening all at once that, yeah, I mean, the argument of none is good, bro. Like that's that argument somewhat holds up. Then there are other arguments. MTV was at its peak, if you ask me. MT- but that's my particular, yeah. you know, where I was coming from. But the interesting thing about it is that it's not just people, you know, it's not just like millennials and, you know, Gen Xers that are listening to the 90s music, listening to 90s music the most. It's Gen Z as well. No, it's Gen Z, yeah. of course, because we've got Stranger Things, which is, I know, 80s, but it's becoming late 80s. Yeah. And so everyone's loving the new, everyone's wearing a Nirvana shirt. Yeah. And even if you walk out on the streets of fucking Brooklyn these days, I don't know if this is true for the rest of the country, but it's like walking in a fucking 1993 out there. I know. I find blend in <laughs> yeah we're yeah the, the style has finally come back it's around come for back. us <laughs> and i'm finally like yes i've been wearing flared pants forever no i saw a guy yesterday that's like i can tell he's getting the jump on it looked like he stepped straight out of 2002 looked like he was in the fucking strokes nice. i was like i can see i know you're doing you he looked like uh what is it fabrizio i think was the name of the guitarist in the strokes with the big afro the big hair yeah yeah he looked exactly like him it's like oh you're getting in on that nick zinner shit you're getting you want to be in the yeah yeah yes but that's he's Cool. Yeah, he's he's getting the jump on it. So all you kids out there, if you want to get the jump on it, start looking at the strokes in 2001 or 2000 and you'll be on it. Basically, yes. The late 90s are people dressing like they wanted to in the 70s. Yep. like that Because that's how I used to dress yeah. in the late 90s. So that makes sense. So that's how we're doing our music. Yeah, that, that's how we're doing our music. <laughs> okay. But the other idea is that the 90s, they're always considered to be the last carefree decade. You know, because in you know, the 80s, you had the Cold War. 70s, you just had the 70s. You know, it was just... Nom, <laughs> maybe. Or just everything that happened in the 70s. Of course, starting in 2001, you had 9-11 and then everything since then has been colored by that. And, you know, and every bad thing that's happened over the last 22 years. But the 90s are seen as this innocent decade. And it's seen as like, you know, nothing bad happened in the 90s. Not, nothing, like, that's not what everything was cool back then. But I read this other article from the New York Times. It's called, Is the World Really Falling Apart or Does It Just Feel That Way? And it made a very good point about the mid-1990s. It says, consider the mid-1990s, a time that Americans tend to remember as one of global stability and optimism. If today were truly a time of exceptional turmoil, then surely that would look better in comparison. They go on to say, in reality, the opposite is true. Mid-90s 
Genocides in Rwanda and Bosnia. Years of war in Europe amid Yugoslavia's collapse. Famines in Sudan, Somalia, and North Korea. Chechnya. Chechnya. Civil wars in over a dozen countries. You had Oklahoma City. You had Waco. You had all of these horrible things. Now imagine if you were in 1990, all these things were happening. Imagine if you had fucking Twitter. Imagine if you had Twitter and were constantly plugged into every single one of these events 24 hours a fucking day. And I guarantee you, you would not think that the 1990s were the carefree decade of yore. <laughs> he said, let's do a little extra play. We'll just talk about music. Really fucked up. There's no agenda. There's no manifesto. It'll be totally fine. No, it's, you're not wrong, I'm though. Not wrong. I'm standing beside you on this. Thank you. No, it's just, it's a little bit of perspective. You know? Okay. I mean, of course, you know, there was, there's other things going on right so now. So you're saying things could have been much worse. Yeah. The, well, the thing is, it's like the 90s are not necessarily the carefree decade that we think they were. They just might have been the carefree decade for us. Right. You know, and we also weren't plugged into everything 24 hours a day as we are now. You know, it's it was easy to just, you know, I read the paper once a day in the 90s. You know, that was it. I read the Dallas Morning News. Yeah. You know? I remember Dennis the Menace. <laughs> <laughs> Haggard the Horrible. Oh, he was great. Kathy, yeah. Ack. I love Kathy. And yeah. Peanuts, of course. Yeah. Calvin and Hobbes is, you know, my Bible. Yeah, no, that's what so I was. read the paper every day, too. <laughs> Abilene Reporter News. And even the Abilene Reporter News never fucking did. They still didn't ever get serious. I remember in 2003 when George W. Bush announced that we were going into Iraq. I was at a gas station and saw Dallas Morning News, the Houston Chronicle, and the Abilene Reporter News all next to each other. And the first one was... Bush invades Iraq. The second one was like, you know, Bush gives Saddam 24 hours. And the third one was, dinosaurs are coming to Abilene. <laughs> <laughs> like there, it's a town of 100,000, but still very locally focused. Wow. And then like in under the fold, I actually bought the paper because like, I want to see how far it is into the paper. They actually mentioned one of the most important events of our time. And it was below the fold and a very <laughs> small one. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack. And save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses. Plus, updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But, yeah, I guess the point is that the 90s, yeah, great fucking music, but, you know, that things were not quite as carefree as they seem to be. Go to sleep, like, just thinking that. Just, go, <laughs> just close your eyes, just, just put, it, put your pillow over your head and just wish all the good things out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, you're the best. Oh, you're the best. Ah, well, thanks for thinking so, and so are you. <laughs> She's my wife. I am. <laughs> uh, speaking of days of yore, here in Brooklyn, we had a sad, sad closure 
just recently. We're actually, it's not closed quite yet, but the announcement was made just recently. Yeah. The closure is coming on August 21st over in Williamsburg. The Knitting Factory, one of the great venues of the neighborhood, is uh, shutting down after, I guess it's 13 years? 13 years young, yeah. I remember when they first opened. I remember doing comedy there in the beginning and and thinking, I, <laughs> I didn't know we'd be here, I guess. <laughs> they, but the Manhattan Knitting Factory was still open. Yeah. Because I did comedy there, too. And then that closed. And then I <laughs> I guess I should stop doing comedy. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's Williamsburg one. And I know you've done shows as well uh, with your band. Yeah, I did a ton of shows at Knitting Factory with the Cowmen. And the Manhattan, here's a funny fun thing about the Manhattan Knitting Factory. Still one of the coolest venues I've ever been to in my life. I went there for CMJ in like 2002, we're, what year was it that Elliot Smith committed suicide? Because, that was 2003. Because that, that was where I was when word spread like wildfire amongst these college radio nerds that Elliot Smith was dead. Yeah. <laughs> it was 2003, October 21st. I remember telling my college boyfriend that and he had to sit down. Yeah. It no. was <laughs> too emo. I'm so glad I'm with you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you're with me as well. You don't have to put up with that anymore. He's uh, like, his heart hurt. It was, I mean, no, I, I don't. Bad choice of words. I, I, I know, I know. No, he's 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 still a fantastic person. I wish him the best, really. We really do. But I just remembered being like, you don't even know this man. <laughs> but yes, it was a, actually, it was a very sad thing. It was a, yeah, well, it was like I'm when. trying to dig out of this. It was, well, it was like when like B. Arthur died and everyone was sending you text messages of condolence and you're like. But that was sad. <laughs> But your other, your other, your actual reaction was, I didn't know this woman. Like, <laughs> that like, is true. You're like, I'm true. a fan of the Golden Girls. Yes, it's important, but I didn't know her. Oh, it was when Betty White died, right? Oh, yeah, when Betty White, not B. Arthur, when Betty White died. When Betty right. White passed away, RIP, I got a lot of messages <laughs> like it was, she was like my grandmother. And you know, I appreciated people thinking of me when, yeah. when an older comedian dies. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but the the knitting factory in, in, in Williamsburg, like it was a, a wonderful place uh, and it was a good place for like local bands to play. They gave the Cowmen a ton of slots there. I actually played my very last show with the Cowmen at the knitting factory. Oh. Uh, and the last time I played live music, that was the last time I played with a band. That was six years ago, five years ago, something like that. So if there are any middle-aged guitar players and <laughs> if you have a Saturday afternoon yeah. and you can give the kids to the wife yeah if, if call up Marcus if you're free every third Saturday <laughs> <laughs> then maybe we could you know maybe we could maybe we can jam together you know yeah maybe, you should you, know. you, you really should I really should no it's one of the like being in a band is one of my great pleasures in life and it's, I've been missing a very essential part of me for many years now that I, I'd love to I get agree. back to the I, book killed my music career <laughs> we'll bring it back we <laughs> we'll will it, we'll bring it back. And I hope another venue takes the spot of Knitting Factory and it's not just another restaurant or not just another bar. That's true. And then, you know, the Knitting Factory, like the the article or whatever they said, their their comment. That the press they, release. The yeah. press release that they said at the very end. Uh, it said something along the lines. I know I'm paraphrasing like, you haven't heard The Last of Us mm -hmm. or, or hear from us in the last next few months. So. I do believe that they are coming up with another plan. Well, I think it's the, uh, the new plan is... Uh, 
moving to a new city. Oh. Because that, well, well, that well, sucks. Well, because they've already opened two more knitting factories in Boise and Spokane. Okay. Uh, actually, you know what? Places like that actually do need a little bit of music venue. Why not? We played the Boise Knitting Factory. When we did Boise uh, earlier this year, that, the Knitting Factory was where we played. Oh, that's last cool. Last podcast. Yeah, it was great. It was a fucking really cool venue. Great people. And Spokane is also a cool town as well. That was one of my favorite shows of this entire tour was Spokane. All right. Uh, at the Bing Crasby Theater. But I guess that's what's happening in New York more and more, you know, is that these places are, you know, these music venues are moving to these towns where, you know, scenes can be allowed to develop. You yeah. Know, where people don't have to work, you know, 60 hours a week. And be in a band on top of that. Actually, that's a good point. There's like five other venues within a stone's throw of yeah. where any factory is. So, <laughs> yeah, there, there are. And you know, these days, a lot of the cool places are like TVI out in Ridgewood. Uh, so, I guess you know, Williamsburg. The days of Williamsburg being the coolest fucking place on earth are long, long in the past. Aww. Yeah. Nah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. No, they're they're done. They, yeah. they just opened a, a new Hermes store. <laughs> I don't know why I need a three hundred dollar scarf. <laughs> I don't but know either. holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we mentioned this man a little bit in the very beginning, and now we've got to go into exactly why we mentioned him and why he is so happy these days. Steve Albini. Oh, my God. <laughs> in what is one of the most surprising news stories that I've read recently, just won his second World Series of Poker Tournament. Yes. He beat Congratulations. He beat 773 other players and won $196,089. Really when he sets his mind to it. <laughs> That's, he really could do some great shit. That's true. I I know. This is the man who made songs about fucking. He's amazing. <laughs> Big Black. I mean, obviously, I you, you know I love Steve Albini's music. I love Steve Albini's work. And Steve Albini himself, I sometimes am conflicted about. Yeah, of course. But, you know, I, I watched his, his win and everything and the, the celebrations of when he won, because apparently he's been quite a poker player for a long time. Mm -hmm. And he... To see him get like just so just enamored with the whole just the the lights and the cameras <laughs> and then the guy comes you know he's like saying I'm going to Disney World that kind of guy he just got so humbled yeah. they, you know it was so adorable he's like this was really beyond my expectations <laughs> super super tough field there were a lot of incre incredible players out there big names in poker I had I had a hard time with every player on the final table but I never felt like I I was the best player in yeah. any discipline of poker I happened to run real in really good stud rooms. <laughs> and and bleed chips off the flip games. Just wow, right? Wow, we finished in the stud runs. And on the whole time, I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> and he won a bracelet, which broke, and it broke. But he's like, I don't care. Yeah. I, no one wears a bracelet. He was so happy. He was so happy. Just the, the happiest I've ever seen uh, Steve Albini, which is <laughs> not very often. And so it just, it, I just thought it was worth a mention, even though this happened a couple weeks ago. It's a yeah. little bit old news, but we, we got to bring it back. We got to bring it back. You know, and Steve Albini, like for those of you who don't know, I mean, what he's, I guess what he's best known for overall is, you know, he's the guy who produced In Utero. Like yes, Nirvana's right. In Utero. Yes. He produced uh, Doolittle, right, from the Pixies. Like it was either Doolittle or Surfer Rosa I can't quite remember which one it was, but, you know, like 
solid, solid, solid shit. Yes. Uh, and he's a bit of a gun for hire when it comes to producing. He'll produce anybody that fucking gives him money. Like anyone, he's got anyone who pays exceptional his taste. He does. He has an absolute exceptional okay. taste. And he's also known for being an asshole. He's known for being one of the. I mean, well, the, he's what, not an asshole. He's very uh, a provocateur. Uh, yes, a super. He, he's he likes what he likes. Yeah. And he he dislikes what he dislikes, and he makes it no. Yeah. yeah oh, he <laughs> yeah. does. He he's uh, he's very good at critiquing. Yeah. Uh, he's very <laughs> yes, very much. I mean, we mentioned him in our uh, replacement series, yes. you know, as you know, because he absolutely fucking despised. What was it? Which album was it? Uh, I mean, he despised everything after Hootenanny, pretty much. No, he yes, I think it was uh, Let It Be. I think it was, yeah. began with Let It Be, and then it got wor- his critiques got worse and worse because he was upset the fact that they started hardcore, yeah, and then they decided to go more uh, more melodic rock kind mm-hmm. of music, college rock, yeah. yeah, college rock kind of stuff. And so, yes, Steve Albini wrote it like he was just like an angry kid, which he was apparently, or. It seemed like he was, and uh, he's like, <laughs> I used to love this band, and now I hate this guy. Yeah, meaning the lead singer and principal songwriter Paul Westerberg, and so it just seems like such an angry letter <laughs> <laughs> that that he's. He's just full of critiques. He is. And back in the day, like, you know, back in Chicago, because he was a big part of the Chicago scene back in the 80s. Like, he was known as, how I could describe Steve Albini was he was an internet troll without the internet. Like, he was a troll, except he was trolling through zines. Like, <laughs> but he had great taste. If he, he likes something, he's like, I love Naked Ray Gun. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if he likes something, he would champion it. Yeah. If he didn't like anything, he would not be afraid to tell you exactly why it sucks. Yes. And really dress it all down completely for the world to see. And that is difficult for some people to deal with. He lives a difficult life. But you know what? He's having a great time. He's got a polar bear suit on his head. He's got, (laughs) you know, he's a champion. He he seems so happy. Obviously, I guess what I've noticed to seeing Steve Albini like this is like, he's actually a whole person. He is. He's got many, he's multifaceted. Yeah, I mean. Like my hair color. He is multifaceted and, and, and. Maybe he wasn't so much of a sniveling little snot-nosed kid. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. But yeah, but his uh, chapter, the big black chapter in uh, our bank of your life, is one of my favorites. It's a fucking, it's a great look into the scene and a great look into a man, like yes. a singular person, you know, a singular human being on the face of this planet. Yes, check it out. So now that we've gone through the news, it's time to get to what we would call our feature for mm-hmm. this week's episode of Extra Play. There's going to be something that we're going to have every time we do this show, you know, at the end, like something that's, you know, sometimes it'll be inspired by the news. You know, sometimes it's going to be a story that we found interesting that we want to go through and share with all you wonderful folk. But today, this is something that is inspired by the news, something that just was announced the Dead Kennedys Yay! are finally celebrating the 40th anniversary of their celebrated 1980 debut album, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables, by reissuing a quote-unquote freshly remixed edition of the LP. Yeah, I don't know why it's the 40th. I mean, it came out in 1980, right? Well, they're celebrating the 40th two years late. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Well, we have a really good anniversary, July 19th, which could be today yeah. or tomorrow or yesterday <laughs> or yesterday <laughs> or three weeks ago yes <laughs> i don't know when you're listening to this it's a podcast yes july 19th 1978 was when the dead kennedys made their 
debut their very first show as a band at the Mapuhe Gardens mm-hmm. in San Francisco. That's right. So hey, we're, we're celebrating anniversaries. I just I just needed to bring that up. And their set was 15 minutes long. They got an encore, which is amazing for a band on their first night. That's right. Did they play Rawhide for the encore? I think it was that or Man with a Dog. Yeah. Because, you know, there's always conflicting statements. That's the thing about the Dead Kennedys. Oh. There's going to be a lot of conflicting statements. <laughs> <laughs> Almost by design. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get into yeah, it. We're going to get into it. Well, the reason why this remix is, I guess, worthy of talking about, because there's been a ton of different mixes of fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. So many different mixes. Uh, the reason why we're talking about this one specifically is because the guy who's doing the remix, someone that we talked about fairly extensively in uh, part five of our replacement series, Chris Lord Algae. Yes. The man who ruined Don't Tell a Soul. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Look, Steve Albini, everyone. He just came in the room. Steve uh, Albini. By the way, if you really want to hear something cool really quick about mixing, go listen to the 2013 mix of In Utero. The Steve Albini mix of In Utero. It's like listening to an entirely different album. It's fantastic. I fucking love it. Really? Yeah. I, I haven't even... You never even told me this. No, I, we, we own it. We own the LP. We can listen to it tonight if you want. Okay. All right, cool. Today. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's I a day. I Meatloaf too. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. But Chris Lord Algae, you know, he's the guy that the replacements gave Don't Tell a Soul to for mixing because they wanted, put it simply, they wanted a hit. And Chris Lord Algae was the guy who made hits. He's mm-hmm. the guy who mixes stuff that sounds good on a couple of shitty tinny car speakers. Right. That's what he's mixing for. And he, throughout the years, has had so many different hits. He did Living in America. He did American Idiot by Green Day. He did Time of Your Life. Like, he's the guy. I know, I know. We were in the car, and then you changed the channel <laughs> when Time of Your Life went on. And I was like, no, 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 put it back, put it back. And, and then you're like, begrudgingly did that. Oh, I, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I did it because I love you. I don't need to hear that song again. Listen, I don't need to be an audiophile. <laughs> if something's catchy, I'm going to listen to it. Yes, of course, of course. But Chris Lord Algae, yeah, he's the guy that was given Don't Tell a Soul, and he's the one who absolutely fucked it up. He made it into basically a cock rock album. He made it into an 80s hair metal album. Right. You know, like, well, that's what his job was. Yeah. So, to be fair, to that's be, that was his job. To be fair, he did exactly what they asked him to do. But it is egregious what happened. Yes, it's egregious I, what happened. It was they asked the wrong guy to do the job because when Don't Tell a Soul was re-released, the replacements Don't Tell a Soul was re-released. Dead Man's Pop. Uh, Dead Man's Pop, you know, as we said on the episode, like... It's fantastic. It's it's a, it's a great album. It's a great album. It, it, it's so it, it's so amazing. It is the realization of if only you were lonely. You know, it's like it, it's it's bringing that to its logical conclusion. That sort of artistic journey. You know, it's fantastic. But it was a baffling decision to ask Chris Lord Algae to do it, uh, especially with the band like The Replacements. It's just not going to work out. Yeah. Likewise with the Dead Kennedys. So- it's a baffling. Decision. There, okay, so just to, can I give a quick refresher? Please. Because there are two camps when it comes to the Dead Kennedys. Kind of like, I know we went into it in the Dead Kennedys series, so please check out our series. Mm-hmm. Um, we it's get, one of our favorites. It really is. It, it's fantastic. And so the Dead Kennedys, they started, as I said, July 19th, 1978, their very first show, the Mabue Gardens in San Francisco, California. And so the lead singer, Jello Biafra, and, and then, you know, there's the other guys. There's Klaus Floride, East Bay Ray. And then back then they had Ted, the drummer, before, you know, they, they moved to uh, 
D.H. Peligro. D.H. Peligro. And then they had 6025, which is another guitarist, right? When they were right before when they were very, very like beginning, mm -hmm. the very beginning when they were very just starting. And the way they started was a kind of a way a lot of bands started around that time answering ads. Mm -hmm. So Ray, East Bay Ray, put down an ad saying in the East Bay area, East Bay Ray. And so that's why he got his <laughs> name, of course. Mm -hmm. And so they all kind of met up, Jello Biafra being the just the lead singer and also the main songwriter, especially as far as lyrics go. Yeah. Together, they put together a, a, just a, a bunch of amazing songs. Yeah. A lot of protest songs, a lot of just frightening songs about what's going on in the state and politics in the world. And honestly, still rings today, it as does. we all know, and it, maybe for the next 50, 100, 200 years. It rings truer than it ever has. Kill the Poor is more relevant today than it was back then. So yes. much more relevant. You look at the homeless crisis today and Kill the Poor is the anthem for that. Right. Exactly. So they put together these great songs. And this is like in the late 70s at this point. They pulled together their own money and they released the single California Overalis. And then they also released later on Holiday in Cambodia. So their singles get really popular. Their shows immediately get really popular. Because remember, they got an encore in their first show. Yeah. So they loved it. But the thing is, is that they're playing the San Francisco circuit. And then, um, you know, of course, they go to the East Coast and they do some shows there, but to very little fanfare because this is back in the day where, you know, if there's no Internet, then how do they know who the Dead Kennedys are? Yeah. Right. So they need to get distribution. They need to have an album out so they can go and do their shows because already all the shows they're doing in San Francisco are kind of running out because it's just the same scene, the same like, you know, four or five hundred people. They've seen their shows like a dozen times. It's time to branch out. Yeah. It's but, like Dead Kennedys, crime, Dead Kennedys, crime. Avengers. Like, <laughs> Avengers. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's well, just different variations on like the, the same three lineups so we're i mean and there were lots of bands by were, the way before were, we get emails yeah. okay there were also other yeah, other yeah. bands we're speaking a bit high, with a little bit of hyperbole here but yeah <laughs> it was a fairly small scene and people would run only, into each other all the time you can only do that for so long yes you know? and so you know they get a call saying hey you guys want to tour europe and they're like fuck yeah i do all right but you, you know touring with a like honest on the strength of a single is pretty it's not good enough yet yeah so why don't we make an album fresh fruit for rotting vegetables yes yes so they're like okay give us some money <laughs> <laughs> because we don't have any money to do it you got to give us some money so cherry red records they were the british imprint and so they you know there's a lot of industry talk we don't have to really get into the specifics mm -hmm. of like ian mcnay and all that a lot stuff. of ends a lot of outs a lot of what have you yes exactly they gave the dead kennedys ten thousand dollars and the dead kennedys like we can do that in six thousand dollars because <laughs> that way we can all split the money and then we'll be great because yeah. you never know if this is really going to go anywhere right and also jello biafra is looking at the other members of the band because they toured, you know, the East Coast. And he's just like, oh, we're kind of different. I don't know if we're going to get along, but let me just see this through. Just this one album and then maybe I'll never see them again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little foreshadowing for you. Yes. And so obviously they do the first album. It kills. It does amazing. I mean, people love it. Uh, I'd say top five punk albums of all time. It, easily. It really is. You know, getting the album done and actually out and everything and and its sound was a disaster in every way just in the mastering and even in the recording and in the mixing and dealing with Jello Biafra because he is very fastidious yeah. when it comes to exactly how he wants things but you know what a lot of people have said in the past but sometimes you know he's right yeah so we gotta listen to him 
I bet and, him and Steve Albini are on the same text chain somewhere. I don't know. It's either they really like each other or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The unstoppable force and the immovable object. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you never know. You never know. Just saying. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, you know, and then they go on to make other albums because they're doing great. And just their whole, like, their collaboration of making music with Klaus Floride and East Bay Ray, especially how, because Klaus Floride being, I think he was the much older one. He was like almost like 10 years older. Yeah, he was. And they're just masters at at their instruments. Yeah. And, and they're doing shit that no one else has done before. They're they're bringing like you know East Bay Ray is bringing in the Echoplex and using that like nobody had ever used it before. You know they're writing surf songs without ever really listening to surf. Like, <laughs> like it's amazing, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, it's fresh fruit. You know? And so this album came out, and so many years later, there's a whole a lot of things went down. Please listen to our series. Jello Biafra runs for mayor. He comes in fourth, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> you know, and then and then there's a whole censorship thing with the there's a lot of things the, the band eventually breaks up yes the band right? b- breaks up quite like 1985 yeah I would say. and the breakup it has quite a bit to do with the lawsuit that the dead kennedys ended up uh, getting embroiled in you know the whole penis landscape with the hr geiger thing which we're getting f- framed right now uh, uh, yeah we actually have an hr geiger n- not the actual hr geiger no uh, no i was know, able paint, to yeah like I was, artwork yeah i was able to find an original pressing of frank and Christ that had the f- original poster inside that got Jello Biafra into a lot of trouble. Got a lot of people in a lot of trouble. Yeah. As we were, t- we also talked about in the replacement series. Yes. So this is kind of, the extra play is kind of a companion. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just course. say that when yeah. we do our features. Sometimes. Very much a companion. And then, of course, many years later, so what happened between two camps is Jello Biafra uh, and the rest of the band, of course, Klaus Floride, East Bay Ray, especially East Bay Ray, they together, they put together a record company called alternative tentacles mm-hmm. because remember no one was going to sign them in the very beginning because they were called the dead kennedys yeah and this is like maybe 15 years after jfk died it's a fresh memory yes before he died suicide by cop i heard <laughs> is it like that so anyway yeah yeah right after rfk drank all that bleach yeah yeah, 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 exactly. yeah i remember and so um <laughs> so so they put together alternative tentacles and of course they they got a lot of other bands involved in there and released a ton of shit and they still do to this day 
but there was a legal entanglement. I don't know if I'm making this simpler. But <laughs> we could just say there's a, there was a legal entanglement because it took you forever to untie this knot. Yes. Basically, the rest of the band were just entrusting Jello Biafra with just the, the money, the rights, the royalties. And then the rest of the band felt like they weren't getting the royalties that were due to them. So they went to court. Yeah. And Jello Biafra's, you know, him and his lawyers, I... I we don't know. We speculate that maybe they were worried that they were going to lose the entire business. So they also went to court and they countersued and they fought in all this business. And so in the end, they decided to let the whole band have to decide. And so, you know, in some way, like we all have to be friends. And, you know, we all have to be in the same room with each other's lawyers to decide what the dead Kennedys, pretty much all their music catalog has to do with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Now, fast forward to, let's say, last week. (laughs) And here we are. (laughs) Here we are where Klaus Floride and East Bay Ray and and the rest of the Dead Kennedys on that side, not Jellabiaf, on that side, decide to release a remixed version with Chris Lord Algae on Fresh Fruit for Rotten Vegetables on their 40th anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first mix came out in 2020. They they, they released one mix in 2020, but I guess it's just, it wasn't finished until 2022 or, you know, who knows, a lot of shit happened in 2020 so that pushed some stuff back. There was a lot of shit going on. Yes. And so... And when this happened, I remember telling you, like, being like, I wonder what Jello Biafra's response is about this whole thing coming out. Because obviously he had to have something to do with it. He has to sign off on it. I think those are the rules of like, okay, we won't make you shake hands, but you both have to nod or something. Like (laughs) the playground rules, right? So we got an email. I mean, not us personally. (laughs) The Alternative Tentacles, if you subscribe to Alternative Tentacles, please do. I still get stuff from them. I I love it. Yeah, because you bought that Grong Grong album. I love yeah. Grong Grong. <laughs> so, yeah. and you know, I and I still will order stuff from Alternative Yeah, I, I, I love all, I'm a huge fan of like Kazi Way, like is a, a great Alternative Tentacles band that kind of went under the radar. Go check out their album. Uh, it's fantastic. Alternative Tentacles is just full of That's what's great about it is that it's based not on like punk, like oh this is a punk label. It's based on Jello Biafra's tastes, which are wide and varied. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> so there's a lot of great like Alternative Tentacles just puts out, you know, imaginative weird music which is our favorite I love it so we got this email all of us who are subscribed to Alternative Tentacles and it's it starts with buyer beware listen before you buy and okay I'm going to start with this but first and foremost I just want to say no me personally I'm talking Carolina's yeah, talking I'm not yeah. reading the letter uh-huh. I'm not taking sides <laughs> Oh, okay. 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 Well, I'm right. gonna have opinions. We'll talk about. In a I'm bit. not taking sides between the two camps. Jello be offered the lead singer and the rest of the band. Okay. Yeah. If I had to choose, gun to my head, I would choose Jello be Sure. But I know I'd be on the wrong side. <laughs> All right. That is my compromise. Yeah. All right. Here we go. All right. This is our. Do you want to read? I. May, I'll start with it. Uh-huh. I'll start. Okay. Jello be goes on to say this was done almost totally behind my back. Intentionally. Mm -hmm. It was not overseen by the band as their press release claims. I'm doing quotation marks. Yeah, yeah. I was deliberately locked out. Not one person from the band or the labels reached out to me at all, nor did Chris Lord Algae, who did the remix. I guess he didn't care or value anything I brought to the band at all. Without me, those songs wouldn't exist. And... You know, I like how he goes on and on and on. (laughs) This is a long email, so we're going to make it very short. Do do you have any parts that you like at all on this? There's quite a few that I love because it's fucking, it's vintage, 
Jello Biafra because you read it and you just hear his fucking voice. You know, like he continues, like, in fact, it took several letters from my lawyer for their quote unquote manager to cough up much detail of what they were up to. So is it really, quote, adding depth without losing any of its original energy, unquote, not to my ears. <laughs> I like how he goes on with, sure, the sound is a little fuller, yeah. a little warmer, yeah. with a little more bottom end, <laughs> but with the top end presence and power so crucial, the full on in your face, punk sounds rolled off and smoothed over, even muffling. And he makes a good point there. Like the he, guitars really, they don't have that buzzsaw, you he, know, the East Bay it sounds weak. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, well, what it sounds like to me, because I listened to the, because what's out so far, there's one mix that's out. One song that's been out for a couple of years now, actually, is the remix of Chemical Warfare. Oh, I thought that just came out. No, it's been out for a while. I think it's been out for a while now. Oh, no uh, way. Yeah. Uh, okay, so can we play, so let's, why don't we play the original version and then, so that way, you, the listener, can I <laughs> can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. No, because he does at one point say, just listen before you buy, please. I love that. And then he <laughs> and then he shares the whole ad, which is it's yeah. beautiful in marketing. Jello Biafra, yeah. really, they should teach a course on this. Yeah. Because now we're all in it. Yeah. And I mean, and the, the whole thing is that, like it's a very long email and he goes through all of the people he would have chosen for the remix. He goes yeah. <laughs> he goes through He was right, Gaza X would have been a great choice. Gaza X would have been a fantastic choice. He yeah. really would have been. Uh Andy Wallace, he suggested, you know, a whole bunch of people that he knows himself. I but, would I would have said even East Bay Ray. Yeah, maybe. And then he goes on to talk about every single reissue of uh, fresh fruit for rotting vegetables, which apparently he has in his massive record collection. He's got a top three. Yeah, he's got a top three remix, you know, like, and they're they're great. Like, you know, I understand everyone's got their own ear. But this Chemical Warfare remix, yeah, it did come out in 2020. It came out in October of oh, 2020. Oh, gotcha. So it was actually the 40th. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they did release it. And I think they were planning. I guess they just weren't done yet. But <laughs> let's listen to... The original first. Okay. Oh, yes. Like, okay. let, let, let's listen like, to compare how, and contrast. Compare and contrast. Let's let's listen to how it sounded when it was first released in 1979. This is the mix that most people know. This is the original shit. Like this is fucking chemical warfare. Yeah. <laughs> So that's All the right. first 30 seconds of the song. That's the original mix. All right. And then m make sure to put on your Steve Albini ears. <laughs> be as cr critical as you gotta be. Let's go. All right. Now let's pick up the song exactly where it left off with the Chris Lord Algae 2020 mix. Right. Now I got my own, but I got my I mean, it does sound fuller. I 
you know, I like it. I like it too. Yeah, it, it, I don't think it's well. Then. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I can understand Jello B. Offered. I can understand what he's saying, but I, I like it. I get his point, but there's a couple of different things about it. The first thing is that you can really hear the separate instruments. Like it's in the original mix, it is like this. It's a bowl of soup, you know. Mm-hmm. And this one's like a sandwich. And you can. <laughs> <laughs> I like sandwiches. Yeah, as I like do soup. Yeah, as as do we both. Uh, <laughs> and, <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with the chemical warfare mix, like yeah, you can hear the separate instruments a lot more clearly, and that's cool. That's a fun thing to hear, you know. But the problem that I have with the mix is the same problem I have with Don't Tell a Soul is that the guitars sound like 80s cock rock. It's a Chris Lord algae mix. It's like it's so obviously a Chris Lord algae mix. I, I don't I, I can't hear. I mean, remember how bad I am at hearing things? Remember yeah. uh, uh, was, is I want candy? Yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> dun, I was dun, like dun. There, there were drums in there. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I, not I a good audio That's file. just a Bo Diddley beat. And everyone was doing a Bo Diddley beat then. And it was just a Bo Diddley. But it was still 1969. And, and I want candy it was very similar. With and, the beat. Okay, so uh, we're referencing Stooges, by the <laughs> well, way. The Stooges the- yeah. uh, series that we did where I couldn't hear a whole instrument. <laughs> and and so I'm not the, the audio connoisseur that you are. Yeah. And so you know this. And so what I hear, the, let, let's say, call me average dumb consumer, mm-hmm. uh, is that it does sound fuller, so Jello's right. But you are correct in the sense that it does have a Chris Lord algae kind of... Uh, there's a, a tinge to it. It's got the feel, uh, you know. It just it sounds more like a Green Day album, you know, like or like a later Green Day album. Like it doesn't have the the grittiness of it's a punk record from 1979. It's too you polished. Know? It's too polished. Yeah. Okay. It's I got you. Like a Dead Kennedys, like especially like Fresh Fruit. Like it's like because when you look at the cover, like because that mix does not match a record sleeve that has a burning cop car on it. Okay. <laughs> Which, by the way, started out just being just a grainy photo. <laughs> Which they tried to make orange and it turned kind of pink and it was a whole thing like the Misfits that had to yeah. deal with as well. Yeah. yeah, a grainy photo of a burning cop car from a San Francisco riot. Like, that's that mix, the Chris Lord algae mix, does not match that image. Right, okay, okay. It's like the words do, but it's the feeling of but, it. But it's still powerful. It's still powerful, yeah. No, it's cool. And I'll listen to, I'll listen to the whole goddamn thing. You know, I'll take any excuse to listen to Fresh Fruit again. Yes, and let us know. No dogs in space at gmail.com. Yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, us... I just flooded our <laughs> inbox. <laughs> well, yeah. she, they, she asked us. <laughs> Riddle me this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Jello Biafra, like I Ami, mean, I would like to give him the, his his due, his say. He does believe that there are better sounding mixes, and he says the UK remaster that they did a cherry red in, in 1980 because the thing they mixed originally was like half a step too fast, I, mm-hmm. I believe. I, if you check out our Dead Kennedy series, yeah, he says that one, the UK remaster is great, and then he says the remaster George Horn and Jello Biafra did at Fantasy in Berkeley way back when is also great and then he said the short-lived Japanese LP on trio way back in the early 80s yeah he's such a record nerd like actually the best one well the third best one is the Japanese pressing that's the one you want to listen to I'm not gonna even find it I'm not even gonna look for it but he does say I'm sure Lord Algae and Ray's remix even cracks my top 10 it does not I'm not sure he says I'm not sure it does maybe the Wikipedia bio describes it Lord Algae's as known for molding mixes for small speakers and FM radio. If that's your bag, this is the fresh fruit for you. But is it a revolutionary must-hear experience? You decide. Just listen before you buy. 
Please. <laughs> so I guess, you know what? That's been his mantra ever since. Just like, think for yourself, decide. And then he adds a whole long, big, huge ad for the actual mix <laughs> that you can buy if you want to. Either way, he's going to get his... He's going to get a few cents off that dollar. Yeah, and he's going to be talking about this, I would imagine, for a long time. Because Jello, he just joined Twitter, like, what, last year or something like I that? I love it. I lo- it's, he's the I only- don't even go on Twitter. I don't I either. I hate Twitter. I think Jello Biafra is the only man on earth who should be allowed a Twitter account. He's- and Steve Albini. And Steve Albini. <laughs> and how- the guy from Eve 6. Yeah. Because <laughs> if Steve Albini doesn't have a Twitter, how are we going to know if he won the World Series of Poker? Honestly, and this is the news. And this, <laughs> and that's the news how we see it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm to Jane this... Curtin. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this uh, first main feed episode of Extra Play. Thank y'all so much for uh, listening to our replacement series and all the kind words that we gotten on that. If there's anything that you guys want to hear us talk about here on Extra Play, email us at no dogs in space at gmail.com. If there's like a cool story that you've seen, a cool news story, if there's just like a fun like here's a fucking insane thing that happened in 1976 in Boston send that to us as well if you have any personal stories about any of these people or any of these places that we've talked about let us know anything at all nodugsinspace at gmail.com is the email address and we shall see y'all in two weeks yes because we're still working on Patty Smith and what we've learned we've learned is that we got to record all the episodes first (laughs) before we release them so we're gonna we're gonna do a three-part series on patty smith we're gonna record all three yeah and then you guys will get them once a week yeah because we released the first replacements episode having recorded four yes uh, and there's a yeah we could get that done in time and then it was down to the fucking wire we got covid we got covid that's right i forgot (laughs) (laughs) anyway even though i'm still fucking suffering from it yeah I somehow forgot about that. I forgot about, you know me, I got no fucking memory. Um, Just go to sleep, kids. (laughs) Remember, the 90s weren't as good as you remember they were. Nope. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.